I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. New episode of Fish Bites, as usual with me, Eli Sussman, covering the Miami Marlins in a way that only the Fish Stripes community can. Main website is fishstripes.com. Make sure you're following Fish Stripes across all our social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, now on YouTube as well. Uh, recording a little bit early for this week's episode, and it's going to be a briefer episode than usual because the focus will be primarily on FanFest that took place this past Saturday at Marlins Park. Before we get into that, a reminder about Fish Stripes Night that's coming up towards the end of the month, Thursday, February 27th in Jupiter, Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium, the game between the Marlins and the Mets. We want to see you there discounted tickets to those games available only through our group at fish stripes all the details are on the homepage of the website at fishstripes.com in the article about fish stripes night 2020 you make payments through venmo everybody has venmo these days you just send your payments to fish stripes on venmo to complete your order, $14 a piece for the bleacher seats, $27 in each for the reserve seats. Uh, to see very early in spring training, one of the first looks at how this club is coming together on the field, a nice mix of the veteran players acquired over the offseason and some of these top prospects that are about to break through to the major leagues and form that long-term core. If it goes well on this night, we'll plan to do more than the rest of spring training and during the regular season as well. So your support is greatly appreciated. And one other story that came out of FanFest, before we get to the fan experience at the event, I have my special guest. Our FanFest correspondent this year was Anthony Garcia, and it's a great conversation coming up. While the FanFest activities were in full swing, there was an interesting report that came out from Joe Fasaro, the longtime MLB.com beat writer, essentially confirming that Jose Ureña, heading into the 2020 season, is preparing as a starting pitcher. Of course, he is the two-time defending opening day starter for the Marlins, uh, struggling in those two outings, but generally being more or less your decent number three, number four starter in a typical rotation, coming off a pretty poor year, and he finished the year in the bullpen, struggling in that role as well, which uh, led to some ambiguity about what his fit would be on the team moving forward, and there seemed to be a pretty high probability that he'd be traded even before we reached FanFest and got to this point. He drew some interest at the winter meetings, uh, other teams that are looking for some back-end rotation help. To this point, that hasn't happened yet. And as things currently stand, he's going to be heading into spring training as a rotation candidate. And just from the tone of Fersaro's report, he would have the inside track at one of those opening day rotation spots if 
he is not traded before then. And that's a big if. Just spending a few minutes on that because, in my opinion, you have three spots that are pretty well locked in to the rotation, being Sandy Alcantara, Caleb Smith, Pablo Lopez, and there's some interesting competition in the number four and number five spot. There's going to be a lot of competition in spring training period at various position battles, but the back end of that rotation, number four and number five, there's some interesting possibilities. And now that we have it confirmed that Arrhenia would be one of those possibilities if he stays there, the players that seemingly had the inside track, if we assume Arrhenia is out of the picture, would be Jordan Yamamoto and Eliezer Hernandez. Also with Robert Duggar, who pitched um, mixed results at the end of the regular season in his first major league action, he would be in the picture as well, coming off an offseason where he added pretty noticeable fastball velocity. That was maybe one of his vulnerabilities at the end of last year is that he couldn't blow the ball by people, and he put on some muscle this offseason that could hopefully raise the ceiling of his ability. Let's do a blind comparison between two pitchers. We'll call the first one player A. Listen carefully as I read off his stats. A 4.58 ERA. A 1.17 whip. Base runners per innings pitched. 78 strikeouts in 74 and two-thirds innings pitched. So more than a strikeout per inning. The second player, player B. A 4.70 ERA extremely similar to player A in ERA, but way more base runners allowed a 1.45 whip, only 51 strikeouts in the exact same 74 and two-thirds innings pitched. That's a comparison between Eliezer Hernandez and Jose Ureña, and it's a comparison looking at their splits as starting pitchers. Both of them saw some action in the pen. Hernandez during the on and off during the middle of the year. Orania specifically in September was converted to a reliever. If you just focus on what they did as starters, bottom line results and the sample size from the 2019 season, exactly the same. But the peripherals favor Eliezer Hernandez a little bit. Fewer base runners, more swing and miss, also with a lot more home runs allowed. That should be noted as well. Dramatically different styles. Ureño has always had that above-average fastball velo, but hasn't missed bats the way we hope. And Hernandez had a handful of outings last year where he looked extremely legit in a starting role, but mixed results, inconsistency, and the bottom line results almost identical to Ureño in that same starting role. So my assumption for most of this offseason has been that Ureño is going to be traded That still seems to be a significant possibility. He's locked in to make $3.75 million if carried through the season. Also, because he was an arbitration-eligible player, that contract is not fully guaranteed. They could pull what uh, I would refer to as a Dan Straley, exactly what happened to Straley last year, where on the verge of the season, just as it looked like he would have some role on the roster, the Marlins surprised almost everybody in just releasing him abruptly, and he went on to have a nightmare of a season and now is pitching in Korea. With someone like Orenia, even though the financials are similar, there's still more upside, more hope, I would say, with him than with Dan Straley. So he's going to have some positive trade value if the Marlins don't find a place for him in the rotation. It should be mentioned that there are other alternatives. So we covered very briefly four guys here, being Hernandez, Ureña, Yamamoto, and Robert Duggar. They do have some great pitching prospects on the verge of breaking through to the major leagues. Someone that I'm very high on this season, Nick Neidert, and the one that um even more optimistic about long-term, Sixto Sanchez. In my opinion, you could put either of them in the rotation on opening day and um, not really worry about them at all. Both of them extremely refined pitchers. Sixto, with the nastier raw stuff overall, Um, and both of them have some question marks about what their innings workload would be like for 2020. So that's one thing holding them back, because Niter missed a lot of time last year with a knee injury. Sixto um, pitched close to a full year in the minor leagues, but he had his 
an innings limit come up there at the end of the year that limited his workload. He was really efficient with his pitches, which also prevented him from yeah, building up that workload that you need when transitioning from the minor league season to the major league season. So there's legitimate reasons to hold them down. Um, the like chief motive why they wouldn't be on the opening day roster, though, is related to service time. Recently, just within the past week, Chris Bryant the star third baseman of the Cubs. He lost his grievance against Major League Baseball when he was very blatantly held down for service time reasons instead of performance when he was one of the top prospects in all of baseball. And that has unfortunately set a precedent that you're going to see across a lot of baseball teams in that there's really no way to prove service time manipulation. If it couldn't be proven in the case of Chris Bryant, it's not going to be proven in any other case as well, which means these teams, particularly the small and mid-market teams that aren't contending right away, they have so much incentive to hold these guys down early in the year and add an extra year of service time at the tail end in order to extend that competitive and efficient window that these teams are going to do that with very few exceptions. That's how I see the Marlins handling this, sending both Nidert and Sixto to AAA. But it'd be a nice surprise if um, if one of them really proves himself in spring, and unfortunately, if some other injuries pop up that force the Marlins to dig deeper into their depth chart, that those guys could be getting an opportunity. It's a really fun uh, position to look at long-term with their starting pitching depth. They're in a good spot. So the question is going to be whether Ureña is part of this team uh, or not come opening day. He is the longest tenured player in the organization, and it's not even close. The player who was next closest to him was Harlan Garcia, who we spoke about less, last time. And as we record this, he is still in DFA limbo. We're anticipating a trade uh, almost at any moment. But Ureña has been in the Marlins organization since 2008, Despite the struggles last year, well, the struggles at the end of the year and some of the inconsistencies both in his pitching and in his conduct, it's been somewhat of a roller coaster. I still think we're going to miss him. That's one thing that Marlins fans should never take for granted is having a player on their team for a long time because that's been very rare throughout the history of the franchise. So much turnover when players perform well, or even if they just reach the end of their contract, so many reasons that past front offices have made excuses for flipping over the roster. So it's nice to have a familiar face at certain positions. And if nothing else, even if you're frustrated with Arania or skeptical of him, or just anxious to flip him for younger talent, he's been here a long time. Bottom line is, there's no reason to be rooting against Jose Ureña. As we're approaching spring training with pitchers and catchers reporting this Wednesday, we're getting so close this Wednesday, uh, Ureña is going to help this team either directly or indirectly. Maybe he's the innings eater at the back end of the rotation early in the year while those other prospects marinate at the higher levels of the minors, just waiting for an opportunity to establish themselves or he doesn't even make it to the regular season and he gets flipped to a wannabe contender to bring back uh, some young talent in return, even if it's more of a lottery ticket type of young talent. Marlins are in a good position with their starting pitching staff, and it's because of how they've done in previous trades and how they've developed some of the young pitchers. It's There's been quite a dry spell over the last handful of years before the ownership change in terms of maximizing the talent of these young pitchers. So it's refreshing to see them having a good problem in this situation, having more legitimate options than they know what to do with coming directly out of spring training camp. Anyway, that's more than enough of hearing me ramble on all by myself, bringing on a special guest for this episode. He's making his Fish Bites debut. He's been part of the Fish Stripes community for a couple years now, Anthony Garcia, who attended FanFest on Saturday and has some great insight into how that event went, and he gives us some of his thoughts heading into the 2020 season as well. Enjoy this interview with Anthony Garcia.
making his Fish Bites debut. One of the biggest Marlins fans I know, who this year served as our FanFest special correspondent, Anthony Garcia. Welcome to the pod, man. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Well, as a lot of people know, I wasn't at FanFest myself. You were there. Uh, 17,000 of your closest friends were there. The biggest, the biggest attendance that they've had under the new ownership and probably the biggest one they've had since they moved the format into a single day thing. But for the people listening to this who might not have been there because of logistical reasons or the conflicts they had, I want you to just set the scene for us. Uh, who did you bring with you? And uh, where do you live like relative to Marlins Park? Like, What was the trip that you had to make to get there? Uh, I'm lucky that I live about, I'd say, 15 minutes from the park. Um, today was awesome. I took my wife and my youngest daughter, my four-month-old daughter, uh, Zoe. Okay. Um, my Twitter-famous daughter, Stella, didn't make the trip because she's dealing with a little bit of a cold. So uh, we kept her at home. But it was a great time. It was a beautiful day, and couldn't have gone better. And you were there from the very beginning, I think. The, the main event started at like 3 p.m. is when they opened it up to everybody else. But they had that Marlins members event beforehand with the State of the Marlins address from Derek Jeter himself. Um, I, I only saw little be- bits and pieces like come out from that. Uh, what exactly did he say? And, uh, what was that part of the day like during before the main event opened up? Well, I'll start by saying that Jeter and uh, Marlin members, uh, events, and any little state of the Marlins they've ever done, as I've been to all of them with my wife. We've been seeing the ticket holders since they bought the team. And this one was definitely the biggest. They had the biggest crowd, the biggest turnout, um, even more so than that first one he did, the famous first state of the Marlins. Right. Um, this one was the biggest. I mean, we've gone to state of the Marlins that had maybe – 300 people, 200 people in attendance, um, even less. We had one when there was only six rows of chairs and about, you know, maybe 10 rows across. Um, this one was definitely the biggest one. It was the most fans I've seen show up to one in a while. The actual state of the Marlins was awesome. It started with, you know, games. John Birdie was out there playing a game. Um, it was very, you know, friendly at first, and then, but everybody wanted Jeter. You know, they introduced him as a Hall of Famer. Yeah, it was great. The fans, honestly, when the fan question started, that's when things got interesting. That's when people started uh, not not hard questions, but I guess what we're all thinking of, uh, you know, what where the organization's going, what's going on, and Jeter, you know, he answered them the way Jeter does. He never he never shows his hand, but he gave the fans what they wanted, which is important. Yeah, that's something we always got to remind ourselves. It's both him and with Michael Hill, where they're articulate guys, but they're the masters of not really saying anything. So, like, we all get hyped. So, like, hear hear, hear what they have to say and the updates they have. And then you got to remember that, like, their main main job is to not make news, like, accidentally. And it's like, treat their words really carefully. So, which happened a lot in the beginning. In Jeter's first few interviews, it was always anything he said was headline news. Right. Yeah, I mean, and it's always it's only headline news if it's a bad thing, if it's something that he right. puts insensitively or he like accidentally offends somebody, tries to minimize yeah. somebody. Yeah, I get it. Uh, so he was, I mean, at this point, people are pretty comfortable with with the idea that Jeter's running the organization. He's been here a few years, but I mean, most of the players there was, I think, like fifty five total players, like including the guys on the roster, and then some guys from some prospects from captain's camp and some of the non-roster invitees. And from my count, like most of the players that were there were at a fan fest for the first time. Like either they were acquired by the team during the middle of last season, or they were acquired this off season, or they were young prospects last year that weren't at part of the roster. And like this time was their first time at fan fest. So like for all the people that, don't follow the minor leagues or don't follow other teams. This was like a a big opportunity to meet new guys for the first time out of of all the players in there that were relatively new to the organization. uh, Did you have any interactions with them? Like just anything you noticed about whether it was one of the top prospects or uh, one of these off season acquisitions, where did, where did you see those guys and what were they doing during the event? 
Well, it was actually funny because I was walking on the concourse and I saw somebody with a Garcia jersey in the back. And I was like, and the first, my first reaction was we have the same last name, but it was, oh, that's a custom jersey, you know. And it wasn't until I noticed, I'm like, wait a minute, this guy's, you know, pretty tall. You know, he's with the staff. And then I realized it was uh, Yimmy. Right. So I was like, uh, it caught me off guard. But what I will say is this is the first season, the first year of uh, going to FanFest that I've noticed that the players were everywhere. The concourse was covered with the players, and I think it's because there are so many of them. Right. But there was never a moment where you're walking or, you know, I went into the team store and I turned around and Stanek was there. And I was like, hey, you know, so it, it was awesome. The The way they did it this year was a little different. There wasn't as many make a line to get an autograph, you know, three players per table type of thing. So this year they were just all over the concourse. They were playing games. There was a bunch of them outside. Gary Cooper was throwing BP in the kids' home and derby. Um, so it was it was a lot better this year when it comes to meeting players and stuff. Now, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but back in the day, just a handful of years ago, it used to be a two-day event, right, instead of just a single-day manifest? Right. And and so I we, think they went away from that. I was actually talking to my wife about it, that in 2017, we went before all the trades, before anything, and it was empty. We met every player. I mean, we got autographs from everybody. We did everything possible in two, three, four hours. It was, it was maybe, I wouldn't even say over 10,000 fans there. It was a two-day event, and we were done. We were going to go the second day. We decided not to because we did everything. Right. So this year, making it, I guess, not this year, but I know they've done it in the past, but making it a one-day event, I understand why they did it and why they do it, and it, it works a lot better for everybody. It looks a lot better. The perception's a lot better than dividing the fan base. So I, I enjoyed it a lot more this year with the one day, everything one day, all the players are there. So it was great. So it was a great day. Yeah. I mean, just from what I, I've seen, I generally agree with you, especially because even outside of this one day, in the few days leading up to FanFest, they had the guys out in the community, whether it was going to all these local schools and they had a couple guys go to hospitals. And even this morning they had some players at little league games, like for the kids that, may have had games that conflicted with FanFest themselves. They sent out some of the players to local Little Leagues to like throw out the first pitch as well. So it's it does extend a little bit beyond the single day, just the one day at the ballpark. I mean, at the same time, you know, there's always a certain segment of people that have, whether it's work or like some other commitment that they need to make every Saturday, they're never going to be available on Saturdays. They're like pushing to have something on Sunday in order for them to get there but yeah i keep going back and forth on it too especially because it's that trade-off right because between having right. this amazing atmosphere where it's fully packed and um and there's there's always little issues that come when you have something that's really filled up but that's a good problem to have and then the other side right. of it is, yeah as you were just saying where it's it's laid out as a two-day event but um people maybe disproportionately go to one day or the other or just because it's spread out it's the atmosphere is like totally gone because it's stretched too much yeah it's a different and, and like i was saying we've gone to i went in son 17 and my wife was able to take a picture with chris and yelich with no line so it's not where we are as a fan base now where we are as a team now one day just works you know one day we all get together we all meet up everybody's at the park everybody's having a good time all the players are there. Every event is the same day within a few hours. It's not spread out over a weekend. It's not dragged on, you know. Personally, I wouldn't, if they say there was a tomorrow, I wouldn't be able to go because, you know, with the kids, with, you know, getting them there again would be a lot. So I understand why, where we are now, one day is perfect. In the future, when we have, when we're selling out games and we're making playoff runs, I could see them definitely doing it two days. And one more thing we're going to touch on about this year's event is the field, because we know that the field is changing and that they brought in the fences in dead center field and in right center field. And even more noticeably, they're changing the whole playing surface. They ripped out the natural grass because it was kind of growing inconsistently and because it was expensive to maintain. And they're installing the turf. So I imagine you got a look at the field itself. Um, just, I mean, from from what I've seen, like the discoloration of the turf is is kind of scary. I know it's not done yet. Is is that what you saw? That it, it, like it's just a weird color and it's still a work in progress, and they have to still right. A lot. Of, I saw a lot of uh, fan sites and stuff commenting on Instagram 
saying, oh, the, this is the field, you know, it's done. Right. Look at the color, but it's not the case at all. Right behind home plate, I don't, I didn't get a picture of it, but behind home plate, they had an actual patch of turf, the color that it's going to be. It's green. It looks like regular grass. Right. They actually let some fans touch it. Um, it's not going to be that dark gray or blue color. That looks like more like a base. Um, I can see on pictures how people can get confused by looking at it because it does kind of look semi, you know, finished, but on pictures, but in person, you could tell. That's the base behind home plate. They have the actual grass color, so it's not it's not going to look like that. As for the outfield, I don't know if people are expecting the fences to be to look drastically different. Um, it may be, I believe it's like four to five feet the difference in center field. I'm not sure on that one, but um, they definitely moved it in, and the field just looks tighter. Everything looks more compact. I think center fielders are going to have a much better time out there. Right. Um, usually anything over their head or anything gets past them, it's rolling forever. So I think the field definitely looks good. Jeter touched on it that they were having a hard time having a consistent grass every game. Every game it seemed like it was there's dry patches here, dry patches there, or if there was a rough patch here, you know, they fix it one day and then a week later it's somewhere else. So they were struggling with it. I guess they just decided, you know, it's better just to be consistent. I think the outfield is are going to actually enjoy it a lot more than any surprise bumps. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. And like that, maybe they're waiting until after the Monster Jam happens because every year they host a big monster truck thing like late in February, and I think that's the case again this year. So maybe just... Yeah, I was talking about that too. I think it's like the third fan fest in a row. The field is completely destroyed. Right. Three years ago, we had the, the that race inside the stadium. Uh, I don't know, or maybe that was last year. Um, every year it seems like the field is never ready for FanFest. So. Yeah, and and that's part of the perception. Like, it seemed that everybody that went had a good time, but because when you're, again, spreading those images to people that aren't there, part of that perception is, like, you're, this is supposed to be your first opportunity to see the fields, and it's supposed to, it would help, I would think, if it looked exactly the way, if it looked 100% ready. But, yeah, I mean, they put in... Um, they're good excuses, I guess, especially the last two years. Cause last year it was about uh, repainting everything and adding those new social sections and removing. And they, yeah. And they were removing Homer last year and um, tearing it down and building up the new section. And then this year. Yeah. So they've had good excuses each of the last two years. I just think it, it would help the, it would help. It'd be even better. I think if they had it already, hundred percent in time. And, uh, I guess that's what we can assume for next year. I guess by, by next year, oh. there's no other changes we'd expect to the whole structure of the stadium. Yeah. I think, I think everything's pretty much done. I think we're going to have a consistent, you know, look from now on, but again, they, the point of the Marlins park, hopefully gets a naming right, a name soon, but the point of the park has always been to be a 365 day, you know, uh, location concerts everything so you never know yeah well well why while i have you on here we can actually talk about the 2020 team a little bit because i get worn out always talking about the same things myself and you know writing it and tweeting about it i, I repeat myself too much so i wanted to hear some of your thoughts about how the team is coming together this year um is there any move in particular that you're really happy about or really surprised about that's happened over this offseason I'm happy with the Jonathan Villar claim and then eventual trade, I believe. Um, yeah. Hopefully, he's one of those guys that can just keep it together. Hopefully, we have him for more than one year. Um, but as for the season, it's going to be better than last year. I think we're going to start off good, you know, with our rotations going to carry us. We have good depth and almost, I mean, the outfield depth is insane. But we have good depth. We have depth almost everywhere. So we should be, you know, relevant, you know, hanging on for a little bit. I think those dog days of summers usually come and that's when we're going to fall off a little bit, unfortunately, for now. Um, and how the business goes, if the veterans are playing good, they're going to get traded at the deadline. We're not ready. I don't think, I can't picture a scenario where we're all in this year, you know, at the deadline. Let's go get that big bat. Let's go get that ace. Um, I don't see that happening. So I think the, the Dickerson, you know, guys like that, Aguiar, if they have good 
uh, starts the season, they should end up trading. I know we have that option for Dickerson. Um, but I think we'll be consistent. I think the August, September should be interesting. The young guys should be up. You know, we should be competing again. Um, I'm expecting about like a 72 and 90 season around there. You know, it has to be an improvement from last year, 100%. Right. Yeah, I mean, the tricky part is just the schedule, the fact that they're in the National League and they're at a time in the NL where aside from maybe the Pirates, there's like nobody else that's really fully tanking. Like everybody else has some, even if they're in the middle of their own rebuilds, or but most of the National League happens to be in like a win-now mindset. That, the NL East is all win-now. Yeah, and even disproportionately, yeah, being in the division where everybody else in that division is like that way. There's no soft spots. You look, in the American League, it's like a totally different story. And that's why, yeah, that's why it's complicated to like project this out because if they're going to head towards the middle of the year and you know that they're going to be one of the bottom three teams, even if they're like dramatically better than they were last year, there's such a big gap between where they were last year and where, where they're trying to get to. And it, there's, I, I agree with you that like even the ceiling on the team, even like the most optimistic scenario they're not going to be adding they're not going to be buying veterans at the deadline but the reason why there's like this like higher upside than the previous couple of years is because they have all these prospects that are on the verge of breaking through we're going right. to see Sixto this year and we're going to see monte this year and we could see a handful of those other guys too so right yeah. we're not we're starting uh quote-unquote mlb caliber players at almost i mean at every position it seems and with the depth behind it, you know, it's going to be fun. We're going to have games that or weeks or stretches that were over the moon. And then I just feel like when those dog days come, you know, it's going to be, there could be some tough stretches in there. You know, we never know with injuries. Hopefully everybody stays healthy, but that's unrealistic. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. It should be a much better season, exciting season. And I just can't wait for it to get started. Yeah. And they've done a lot of little things. They're, they're keeping ticket prices on a hold from where they were last year instead of increasing them quite yet. And they just announced all their giveaways today. That kind of got lost. Actually, they didn't announce it. I kind of, <laughs> I, I came across the information sources. I acquired their promotions for this year. They're going to have the bobblehead giveaways for Sandy, for Caleb Smith, for Alfaro. And then they're going to have, a throwback bobblehead to Kevin Millar coming up this year. So they have those four. And what else do they have? They have a Hawaiian shirt giveaway. A yeah, hopefully the they do the throwback weekend again. Jeter mentioned it that some fan asked my biggest pet peeve with the Marlins is that we I've been to Dodger Stadium, I've been to other parks, and we were really lacking in that history, you know. Some fan asked Jeter today about it, and Jeter said they're working on it with time. You know, all we really have from the past is those two small uh, flags, or not flags, but two small signs in left field that are almost hidden because they, they hide in the city. When, right. Uh, yeah, you know, so it's tough to even see them. Um, and hopefully the history is there. So hopefully one of those weekends is a throwback weekend. Get those uniforms out again, the stripes. Yeah, that's the one that I don't know for sure, but it's been so popular what, each of the last two years. Two years ago, they did it for, they called it the 25th anniversary. And then last right. year, it was in late July, and they did like a little variation on that. It was beautiful. They got to bring that back again, definitely. And yeah, and Jeter commented on it. He, he said something along the lines of, look, we love doing it, but fans got to come to it. You know, everybody loves history, but you guys got to come to those weekends. Right. And so at the end of the day, it comes back to us, you know, getting people in the park. It's not expensive as people say it is to go. You can get tickets for $10. You know, the parking is always going to be an issue. Everybody's never going to, nobody ever wants to pay for parking, but there's other options out there than just driving over there and parking. The 305 menu is decent. It's awesome. You know, you can get a beer for $5, a hot dog for three. You know, you don't need to go spend $80, $90. You go to dinner anywhere in Miami and you're going to spend over $100. You could go to the ballpark with your family, spend 80 bucks, and everybody, you know, you had, a, you had a great time. You're in a beautiful place. You saw the game, and you ate and drank, and everything's good. So the whole super expensive to go to a Marlins game, that's in the past. That doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah. And still, um, it's going to be really exciting. 
and we still have spring training between now and then. And uh, I'm really excited. That's going to be fascinating this year with all the competitions they got going on this season and uh, still the potential to trade away some guys. Like, um, I don't know what they're going to do with Jose Ureña. And then they still got to see if uh, Jesus Aguilar really proves himself in spring training. So there's still like a lot to be decided between now and then. But uh, we'll probably have you back on the pod because uh, during spring training or definitely during the season. Because I know you want to. Yeah, I know you want to be around, and you got some good ideas. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll be at the first spring training game. Not the first one, the first home game in Jupiter. So that'll right. be an exciting time. Yeah, we'll check in with you then. Anthony Garcia, FanFest correspondent. And uh, I'm glad your kid had a good time. And bring them both along to some of those spring training games. If Stella's yeah, that'll be, it, that'll be it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Have a great night. You too, bud. Take care. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And to wrap things up, I wanted to highlight a couple interviews recorded at FanFest. The first one right here being manager Don Mattingly speaking with Glenn Geffner and Kyle Seeloff on the Marlins Radio Network. Welcome back to a special edition of the Marlins Hot Stove Show. Alongside Glenn Geffner, I'm Kyle Seeloff. A terrific crowd at Marlins Park this afternoon. Baseball is back. Pitchers and catchers report next week and uh, next month. The end of next month is opening day. Right now we're joined by the manager of the Marlins, Don Mattingly. Donnie, it's great to see you. I guess it's a little too late to say Happy New Year, but Happy New Year. How's everything going? Going good. Yeah, you know, and New Year's is pretty much the date that once you get past that, it's like, okay, your attention really goes to the season for, for the coaches and the, and the manager. Uh, obviously, Michael Hill and development and analytics, they're, they're going at it all, all winter long. I know... We sit here every spring, and people talk about how excited they are. But Glenn and I were talking, and I think there's this is year three under this new ownership group, and there was an organizational commitment from the top, uh, from the bottom all the way to the top to get better. And you've started to see it, uh, whether it's the minor league system. You said in de- December it's time to go now and start winning here at the major league level. Uh, but there's a ton of folks out here today. Michael said he is so excited. I know everybody always is. But heading into this camp, does it feel any different in terms of uh, the excitement or uh – it, de- it definitely feels different. I think as you've watched our minor league system grow, I think the names that you hear about and the names you see in the trades, all these guys are kind of getting into the window of spring training, big league camp, uh, you know, could be available at any point basically during the season. So I think there's real excitement uh, within our organization. Uh, and the one thing I would said in the media session earlier if we're not significantly better this year, if we don't win more a significant amount of games more, uh, it's going to be a disappointing year for us because we put a lot of time into it. Our young guys are getting here at the gate, um, and, and then the guys we've signed in Dickerson, Aguiar, VR, Kinsler, I mean, Joyce, we, we've put the pieces together. Matt Kemp coming as a, as a non-roster. Uh, it's a good group of guys coming, a better mixture of left, right, uh, the combination of players that can do different things. We've, we feel good about our club. Obviously, we know we're in a tough division with the World Series winners, the division winners from last year, everybody trying to get better in the Mets and the Phillies. So uh, it's going to be a tough division, but we're going to be a lot more competitive. Every year is a new year, but it feels it feels like this is a new chapter, more than just a new year this year, with the prospects, like you mentioned, on the verge of reaching the big leagues, with some of the veteran players in the primes of their careers coming in, it just feels very different this year. It really does, and it and it kind of feels like, you know, I'm optimistic all the time. In the last couple of years, I've been very optimistic about what I thought we could do, and you're hoping for the very best. And and realistically, you know, down deep, it's gonna take, it's gonna have to be perfect. I think we get to the point this year where you're feeling like, you know, what that price we've paid is kind of, you know, come and do. Uh, you feel like you're getting towards the top of the hill where this thing's got a chance to start doing some downhill running instead of feeling like we're climbing this mountain all the time. 
Um, and so I really think it is that year. It's time for us to to do our part on the field. You know, the organization's really been hustling, you know, about getting out in the community, doing the right thing, building the minor league system. At some point, we've got to do it here. we got to, we got to put the wins on the board here for our fans in Miami, and then we've got to do it every year and be sustainable where our fans start to trust what's going on here. There were two areas that really stood out on the field last year. The bullpen struggled and he had a tough time scoring runs. Let's start with the offense. It seems like it would be a lot easier if you're riding out a lineup card every night this year. Yeah, it's going to be different for sure. I think we see a lot more left-right mix. So we have, you know, with Dickerson and Joyce, uh, Isan hopefully, you know, growing up, uh, Aguiar in the lineup. You know, you can do a lot of things with Coop. You can do a lot of things with Andy. you got Birdie who gives you some balance. Uh, you got Joyce now, Matt Kemp, Harold Ramirez. We don't know how that whole thing shakes out, but it just feels more solid in our bullpen. I mean, I think I really was really glad to see a sign Kinsler. I think it gives us a guy, uh, you know, we haven't anointed anyone to be the backing guy, but he really makes the most sense to put our other guys in the best shape. Yimmy Garcia coming from L.A. I had him in L.A. as a kid. Uh, this guy had a really good year last year. And we were so excited that we had a shot at him. Uh, and so that, that's an exciting one for us. Your starting rotation, I know throughout the course of times last year, Sandy was an all-star. A lot of up and down in terms of guys going through waves. Um, I know everybody's different, but when you look at your starting rotation, you're going to have a lot of options too in terms of guys that may come up. That starting five might look a lot different come September. But what's most important to you when you look at that starting rotation? Is it stability? It's going to be, and I think that's what we were early last year. We were pretty good. I think we had the same five starters longer than anybody in baseball. Uh, and then all of a sudden we lose three guys in a matter of probably two, three weeks. And that really put us behind the eight ball, I thought. Uh, Sandy was incredible last year. At the end of the year, I felt like he made some huge strides. Uh, so, you know, obviously Sandy sitting there. You look at Caleb Smith, who had a solid, solid first half, got banged up with a little hip thing and never seemed to really, really get back on track. Uh, getting Pablo healthy back. Getting Jose Arena. Jose Arena is going to be fighting, not necessarily fighting for a spot. We want him in our rotation. And if he can make some adjustments and get the ball to both sides of the plate, uh, using an elevated fastball now and then. Uh, Hosey's got a chance to really take off. So you see him in the rotation if things work out this spring? Is that no, we where do. you go into the spring? No, we want to work him as a starter in spring training. Uh, we think he gives us that presence, that toughness in the, the rotation, that power guy, but also just that attitude. And But we're going to make him to make some – we're going to ask him to make some adjustments. We talked to him late in the year last year, showed him some things uh, that basically – you know, the numbers were showing us either you can look at analytics or the numbers were showing us what was going on with him. Uh, and we're going to ask him to make some changes, be able to get the ball to both sides of the plate. Uh, you know, and, and Hosey's a tough kid. He's stubborn. And so we're going to have to work to get through to that. But our rotation, you throw Yami in there and Ellie Iser, And I think you got a mix of guys that can do some things. And then, then you got some monsters coming you know, when you talk about Sixto and already talking about a guy you don't even remember his last name anymore, it's just Sixto now. Yeah. Uh, you know, then you get into Edouard and, and Jorge Guzman. Guys aren't talking about Jorge, but Jorge a couple years ago, you know, a lot of talk. And then last year, that second half, he was really, really good. And then you start getting into Niedert and then to Rogers. Uh, and I forgot the other kid. Braxton Garrett. Braxton Garrett, that's yeah. the one. And so these boys are coming. And Jordan Holloway is a guy that, you know, nobody really talks about Jordan. This kid is a monster. And this is a 6'6", big arm, big athlete. You know, it coming out of the second full year out of Tommy John. This guy's going to be a monster. Rotation might look a lot different in September than it does coming out of spring training. It could. It could. And, and maybe, you know what, You somebody might nail it down and say, we're pitching good enough, you can't get us out of there. May the best man win. Yeah, may the best man win. Donnie, I got one more for you before we let you run. I know spring training for a lot of veteran guys is an opportunity to get your work in, stay healthy. Uh, make sure you're good to go for a 162-game grind. But from your seat, how do you evaluate during spring training? What are you looking for out of guys? Uh, it's probably different things, you know, different strokes for different folks. Yeah. And I see Miggy out here. I guess he's getting ready to come on. But for a guy like that, we're going to get him ready. Right. You know, make sure he's in shape. He's getting his work. He's getting his swings. He's getting everything he needs. He's healthy walking out of camp. Dickerson kind of in the same boat. Joyce in the same boat. VR, Aguiar, Coop. These guys are kind of in the same boat. 
out of the younger kids, you want to see what's going on. You want to see how they're interacting with their teammates, what their work ethic looks like. Do they have good routines already? You know, that's the thing for young guys, trying to get up and get their routines set and how they're going to fit in and how they're going to react to camp in the first time. So there's, there's kind of different strokes you're looking at for different folks. You talk every spring about players in their first big league camp looking different than they do in their second big league camp, seeing that big jump. Who are, are there a couple of guys in particular you're going to see for the second time this spring who you anticipate seeing make a big leap from last year? Well, I'll talk about the guy last year that made a huge leap, and then we're hoping this year he does the same thing on the during the season. Uh, Isan was, was really rough a couple of camps ago. Last year he was really good. He looked a lot more relaxed. We've seen the player. He came up last year, and he looked a lot like that kid we seen the first year in spring. I'm hoping the season looks a lot more like his second, you know, try at spring training. So that's one. Uh, Niedert's another guy that's been through a couple of camps, didn't get really a good look. The first one, Jordan Holloway's another one that was just kind of got a little bit of a look, uh, seeing what it looks like. Uh, and there's probably more uh, as we get into it. But those are kind of the guys, and that's what I, you see. You see that difference that one year makes because I knew it as a player. Uh, honestly, I went the first time. Didn't think I had a chance to make the club, and probably didn't. I was wearing number 62 or something. You know you're not making the club. But you know what? The next camp you walk in, you feel so much different. And you come in with a different mindset. The first one's like, oh, this is great. It's big league camp. I get to go to big league camp, blah, blah, blah. The second one, you're like, man, I want to win a job. And, you know, it's just a different mindset. It's more business, that second camp. Finally, here is shortstop prospect Jazz Chisholm on the Big O Show Closing out this conversation with a very interesting guarantee about the future of the Marlins franchise. Go Fish! I'm good, man. I'm happy to be here. All right, Matt. Well, we're happy to have you here. So how you feeling about this upcoming season? Oh, I feel amazing, man. Like, I've, I haven't felt better in my life. Do, do you feel more pressure when you get traded to this city compared to where you were only because you know our large Bahamian community and you got an opportunity to represent like nobody else? I wouldn't say I feel more pressure. I feel like I feel more like at home. Okay. I feel more at home when I come to Miami. You know, this is my type of culture. This is my type of vibe. So every time I'm at home and I think of home, I think of Miami. So when I got traded here, it wasn't more of a pressure. It was more of a happiness to me to be here. So let me ask you, sir, if I'm correct, I think I did this. Okay, yes, exactly. You got to explain this to me. You come out of the Bahamas, and they put your ass in Wichita, Kansas. Now, that, that's, that's shell shock above shell shock above shell shock. So tell me what was the culture shock first for you going from Bahamas to Wichita? The snow was the culture shock for me. <laughs> um, but my parents didn't want me to stay close to home. They always wanted me to be far away from home. I was supposed to come to American Heritage, actually, high school. And I ended up going to Wichita, Kansas, to a prep school and playing baseball and basketball and football up there. And I mean, it was weird for me, too, to go to Wichita, Kansas. Yeah. Like, I, was, I, I saw that and I go, wait a minute. Bahamas to Wichita. It was a last-minute change. You know, like when you're in ba in baseball, we have last-minute trades that come out of nowhere. Right, right, right. That right. was basically it because I was packing my bags to go to American Heritage, and then uh, two weeks later, actually, you're going to go to Wichita. So. so, so Jazz, was there, like, any regrets early on? Like, what the hell am I doing here? Oh. That kind of stuff? Oh, 100%. Really? I got up there. It was snowing. It was cold. Like, having played against some like amazing competition yet so I was like oh I'm here for no reason <laughs> and then we started playing in like national events and I was like oh never mind okay this this is really this is really going to teach me how to be strong with everything I do you know it was playing in cold weather which you're going to have to do when you're playing in October November well the shockers go to right. the college world series all the time right, right. hasn't Wichita even won the the, the college they did they yeah, did yeah yeah so they yeah they have actually right? their basketball team has come on this yeah. team as yeah, well but that's fine in winter you're stuck in a damn gym so that's all right, it's true. It's all right. so so how the hell so it, do they have indoor baseball facilities over there or what's the deal i mean the shockers do <laughs> they do huh yeah they do um 
we did as a high school we did have an indoor facility that we worked out at so i mean we had good travels good indoor facilities like we would travel we would drive from wichita kansas to tennessee to play in the national tournament every year i mean we were a really good school i would not i wouldn't down my school at all we we came third in the national championships so i mean i was pretty fine with it like going there and playing and competing against guys that have been like that have been in the big leagues now before like well I'm let's happy let's think about this look how dedicated they are that they'll go to the bahamas to find talent right so you, you think about that that's that's how studly that that area is about baseball how they feel about the sport that's right you know that that's also the way you really got to look at it because so the funny part about it uh, about me going to kansas is that he saw me play in the little league world series that year in 2010 and in 2010 i was 12 and he I was, was like say you 13s right yeah i right? was 12. wow yeah and then he came and he told me he was like yeah you're gonna go to American Heritage, you know, go to school. And then two weeks later, going to Kansas, I was like, where is Kansas? Did you know anything about American Heritage already? Cause it's oh, a kick ass school. So Albert Cartwright. Okay. Was one of the guys, he played for the Phillies. Yeah. And Anton Richardson and my stepdad, my coach that coached me all the way up, uh, Jerron Sands, he played at American Heritage as well. So like all of the guys that were really good in the Bahamas that were like, could have made it professional went to american heritage so that's where i was like all right i'm gonna be another professional athlete from the bahamas that goes to american heritage that was my looking at it yeah that's awesome man jazz chisholm by the way joining us here on the show so what's the what 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 do you want to accomplish this year with the team personally with the team i just want to come up and help the team win that's all i want to do i want to win i'm a big i'm a big competitor all i think about is winning if it, if I could come up and just make a play, defensive play, and get no hits and help us to win, I would. That's how I would want to play. What does it say to you that they traded for you? And they gave up a pretty good player in Zach, who's a, who's a pretty good pitcher mm -hmm. uh, overall. They felt they had the pitching depth, but they needed that bat. So, and they want you to be that bat. What's that say to you that they traded for you? It's saying to me that they actually wanted, they wanted me here. And I feel really grateful that they want me here and want me to be a part of this group that's coming up because it's a really group coming up right now and I can see it and I'm watching it. Now that I'm here, I, I really can see it coming. And I'm telling you, it's, Marlins is gonna win a championship in two or three years. I love